morning, Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington. Today is Monday, April the 4th. And here are some of the stories we're covering for you this morning. Kenya's former prime minister and presidential candidate Raila Odinga accuses leaders of the Rift Valley of attempting to kill him. We were at the funeral to console the community. Then the youth started hitting our cars with stones. The stones were raining on my car like rain. And the UN estimates that 2 million people have been displaced by fighting between Ethiopia's federal government and forces from the Tigray region since November of 2020. Some of the people coming through had gunshot wounds. They needed to be treated. Many of them found shelter in uh, a nearby school and hospital with host families. And Rwanda aims to recruit nearly 500 Zimbabwean teachers by September under a memorandum of understanding between the two countries. We'll have those stories plus sports coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. Stay tuned. And for our top story, Kenya's former Prime Minister Raila Odinga has accused leaders from the Rift Valley, where he was attacked by rowdy youth, of an attempt to kill him. Already, Kenya's Directorate of Criminal Investigations has summoned two members of parliament and a top Usain Gishu County official in connection with the attack. Political analysts say the rising political temperature is leading to growing tensions and intolerance in the country. Maureen Ojambo has more on this story. Last Friday, Kenya's former Prime Minister Raila Odinga and his team were stoned by unruly youths when he was attending the burial ceremony in Rift Valley of a former politician, Jackson Kibor. The youths broke the chopper's air shield and vandalized the cars Odinga was traveling in as he escaped unhurt. Speaking in a rally on Saturday, Raila Odinga said that the area leaders organized the youths to kill him. We were at the funeral to console the community. Then the youth started hitting our cars with stones. The stones were raining on my car like rain. From there, I got to the plane and I saw someone hit the plane with a big stone. I was shocked. These guys wanted to kill us. Kenya's Directorate of Criminal Investigation says that preliminary investigations indicate that the chaos were organized and coordinated by members of parliament in the area, Caleb Kositan, Oscar Sudi, together with Wasingishu County Assembly Speaker David Kiplagat. Wasingishu Governor Jackson Mandago has denied the allegations that he organized the youth to stone Railodinga and his team. Everybody has a right to campaign in every part of this county. I cannot, as a governor and as a leader of this county and this country, be among those who think retrogressively. If I was a politician who just thinks about political divides and does politics of hatred and violence, I would not have given them my car. When they were alighting from the helicopter, exactly my car that brought them to And my own car was thrown. So how can I be organizing violence against my car and my security? This is not the first attack against the former prime minister in Rift Valley. It's a region believed to be the political stronghold of Deputy President William Ruto, who is competing with Odinga for presidency in the Kenya's August polls. 
Political analyst Martin Andati says Raila's allegations that the youths wanted to kill him are false and that many politicians experience the same political intolerance. It's going to happen. You know, as we move towards the elections and as the political temperatures rise, there will be those kind of uh, incidents. But, you know, based on the intel that uh, they had, they should have taken uh, precautionary measures to ensure that they stop that kind of incident from happening. As for the claims by Raila Odinga that uh, they were targeting uh, to eliminate him, I don't think that is because they pelted the chopper when he was not in. So how would he have, how would they have targeted to kill him when he was not in? But uh, by and large, it's not right. A few months ago, Deputy President William Ruto's motorcade was stoned in Kisumu County, Western Kenya. Ruto has, however, apologized to Odinga following the attack. Also take this opportunity to apologize to the Honorable Raila Odinga for what happened to him. It was really unfortunate. And if any of our party candidates were involved, we are going to take disciplinary action against any candidate who may have been involved in the violence that was meted out against the Honorable Raila Odinga. More than 10 youths have been arrested following the incident and are being grilled by the police. Yesterday, Sunday, the accused legislatures from the area accused the Directorate of Criminal Investigation of selectively going after politicians allied to Ruto. Some observers say that all government machinery in the country supports Odinga, who has been endorsed by President Uhuru Kenyatta. Government authorities disagree with the charge. Reporting for VOS Daybreak Africa, I am Moreno Giambo in Sacramento, California. And still in Kenya, the country's Supreme Court ruled Thursday that the constitutional amendments spearheaded by President Kenyatta are unlawful. The proposed changes, popularly known as BBI, are said to be some of the most fundamental reforms to Kenya's political system since it introduced a new constitution in 2010. Opponents to the BBI say the constitutional changes are an attempt to expand the powers of the presidency, while President Kenyatta argues that the proposal would have promoted power sharing among ethnic groups. Gabriel Mutuma is a Kenyan political analyst based in Nairobi. He tells me that the decision by the Kenyan Supreme Court to block the BBI shows a strong and independent judiciary. He starts off by explaining what the BBI actually meant. Uh, BBI was started by something that was called a nine-point agenda. These were some of the discussions that uh, uh, the head of state, uh, His Excellency President Uhuru uh, Mwajekinata, and uh, uh, the former Prime Minister, Honorable Ray Laudinda, they sat down and they had a handshake and they came out with a raft of, of, of uh, let me call them, a raft of points which they thought uh, would, uh, would, would fear Kenya uh, into into greater heights, mainly uh, the cyclic violence that we keep experiencing after every five years during an election or electioneering period. So I believe those were the precursors that led to BBI. But somewhere along the somewhere along the road, I think um, uh, many people started uh, creating a lot of. It, it actually did bring a lot of political energy uh, because certain people interpreted it differently. Uh, and you know that's what has you know has has led to what you've seen in our courts. But generally, what DBI was in fact was just uh, it was a document that was made out of the nine point agenda, which were the raft of some of the things that the two gentlemen had and wondered what can they do. 
to have this country have more uh, harmony, uh, not only in terms of peace, but also in terms of the economic empowerment. Now, this ruling by uh, Kenya Supreme Court last week upheld two previous rulings by lower courts. What does this say about Kenya's judicial system? Well, first of all, I think, um, my brother, we, we've, we, we've first of all seen um, uh, the judiciary, you know, the last one where Maraca was, uh, becoming or what I would call becoming of age. Uh, for the longest, we've had uh, a justice system where many people thought they were almost an annex of the executive. And this one, I think uh, many people will tell you that uh, they now, it's, you know, it, more or less, you know, if you talk to various people within various entities, they'll tell you they feel actually the judiciary is coming out of age. They are able to plan uh, uh, things, they are able to execute uh, matters. We are not there yet, but I think in terms of uh, some of the things that we are seeing are actually taking, uh, taking shape and uh, within our judicial within our judicial circles, I think it is something to be grateful for. We've come a long way. I know we still have a long way to go as well. But I think we are not where we used to be in terms of uh, the, the execution of, uh, of, of judicial matters. Now, Kenya's current constitution was enacted, I believe, in 2010. Um, is this the kind of test that it needed to withstand, and has it passed? If you look at some of the some of the things that uh, that, that have happened, BBI being one of them, where it went through all the phases of, of of the judicial chambers, where it started, you know, at the High Court, went to Court of Appeal, and now went to the Supreme Court, which is the highest court in the land, and they still gave element, various verdicts, and even to throw the entire document out. But they gave they gave pointers at least the Supreme Court. They gave pointers as to what needed to have been done. One key among them, you know, they came out and say, you know, the the, the president cannot be sued as long, uh, you know, uh, for, for uh, while he's in office or for defeating something which, you know, uh, is, is kind of believed that it's for the betterment of, 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 of the country. Uh, but uh, something also that came strong is that actually the president cannot initiate, you know, um, a change of the constitution. It has to be people-driven. And it goes back to the first chapters of our constitution, but the supreme, the, 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 the owners of the constitution are the people of Kenya. So I think that 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 point reigns supreme and I think it has been very well fomented within the world and the annals of our country. I think moving forward, uh, it also shows us that it is and it shouldn't be. I can understand when people are making a change, not not really that big of a change. And that's why you would uh, here we talked about the, the, the structured doctrine. Uh, I, I know there are certain uh, amendments that have happened in our constitution, uh, which is okay. Certain bills can, you know, can be put in our constitution. That, that that is okay. But the original structure, changing the original structure, should not be as easy as many people would think. That was Kenyan political analyst Gabier Mutuma. I reached him in Nairobi. The UN says fighting between Ethiopia's federal government and forces from the Tigray region has displaced more than 2 million people since November of 2020. This year, the conflict has shifted to the country's Afar region, displacing more Ethiopians as well as refugees from neighboring Eritrea seeking safety. For VOA, Vinicius Assis reports from Afdera in Ethiopia's Afar region. Eritrean refugee Juma Ali Mohammed has been living peacefully in Ethiopia for 15 years. 
But in early February, fighting between Ethiopian federal forces, their allies, and Tigrayan forces spread to Afar, sending Juma and her family fleeing for safety. In the confusion, she was separated from her husband and two of their children. She now lives with three other children at a former South deposit. Juma says during the escape, her husband and their other kids took a different way. Now, she says, she is struggling along with the three children. The UN's refugee agency, UNHCR, says thousands of refugees like Juma were displaced by fighting in Afar. Astrid Castellan is the agency's senior emergency coordinator in Afar. The security in the area is very volatile, especially in, uh, at the border with, uh, between Tigray and Afar region. Uh, and indeed, not later than February, this has caused displacement of 20,600 Eritrean refugees, but also 300,000 people from Afar region. So we remain very concerned. 50-year-old Saleh Ali Muhammad and a few relatives also fled the town of Abala in February with only the clothes on their backs. They are also living at the former south deposit and sleeping on the floor. Saleh says they left everything in Nabala. He says he is in the shelter with his daughter and her children, but his wife and the rest of his family are missing. Others displaced from Nabala found shelter at a former high school with classrooms turned into bedrooms. Broken glass is scattered about a makeshift shelter, while children displaced by the fighting walk around barefoot. Aisha Said Muhammad's husband was killed fighting against the rebels near Abala. She says he was a farmer and joined the militia to defend the town. After two days, he was shot and died. She said they didn't even have time to bury him. A humanitarian truce announced on March 24 has raised hopes that aid can get truth to those in need. Despite the truce, more fighting has been reported in Afar region this week. Meanwhile, Afar's displaced make the best on their shelter and hope it's only temporary. Vinicius Assis for VOA News, Afdera, Ethiopia. Break Africa continues. The UN Refugee Agency says some 46,000 Congolese who fled violent clashes early last week in the Democratic Republic of Congo's North Kivu province need emergency assistance. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. The fighting which erupted March 28th between M23, a rebel military group and the Congolese army in Ruchuru territory in North Kivu province, sent an estimated 10,000 people fleeing for safety across the border into Uganda. The UN Refugee Agency says nearly 36,000 other people are displaced within the Democratic Republic of Congo. Spokesman Boris Cheshikov tells VOA that UNHCR staff who were at the border to greet the newly arriving refugees could hear artillery fire in the background. Some of the people coming through had gunshot wounds. They needed to be treated. Many of them found shelter in 
a nearby school and hospital with host families, but the vast majority were staying out in the open field. And at the same time, they were facing heavy rains, which were making conditions even worse. Cheshikov says the UNHCR is working with the Ugandan government and humanitarian partners to provide basic assistance. He says some are being moved to transit centers along the Congolese border. He says most of the nearly 36,000 people displaced inside DRC are living with host families or in markets and schools. He adds security conditions are making it difficult to deliver aid to those people. Similar attacks launched by M23 rebels in the same area last November were quickly repulsed by the Congolese army. Cheshikov says a majority of some 11,000 refugees who fled to Uganda at that time returned to their homes in the DRC within 48 hours. Different in this situation compared to the attacks in November is that people are still in Uganda, and this is four days after the attacks began, and they are needing increasing assistance. And because the rains are still falling and conditions are difficult, this raises the prospect of also the spread of disease, of many other needs rising. Cheshikov says clashes in Ruchuru reportedly have subsided. While that is good news, he says conditions remain unstable, thus making it unlikely that the refugees will return home anytime soon. Until that happens, he says, the refugees will need international support to provide for their needs. He says the UNHCR will have difficulty providing the help because it is pinched for cash. So far this year, he says, UNHCR has received only 9% of the more than $343 million needed to run its Uganda operations. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. And still in the DRC, the M23 rebel group announced that it has declared a unilateral ceasefire after several days of clashes with the army in the eastern part of the country. In a statement, the group said that it was seeking dialogue with the government and that it had withdrawn its troops from the combat zone in order to avoid new confrontations with the Congolese army. The United States says that it has repatriated to Algeria a man who was held at Guantanamo Bay for nearly two decades after being accused of conspiring with al-Qaeda to attack the U.S., The U.S. Department of Defense identified the man as Sufyan Barhumi, a native of Algeria, and said that his detention at the U.S. military base was no longer necessary. The Department of Defense said that currently only 37 detainees remain at Guantanamo Bay. And let's go to East Africa again in Rwanda. The country aims to recruit nearly 500 Zimbabwean teachers by September under a memorandum of understanding between the two countries. Adi Gondo has more on the story from Bulawayo. The agreement on Rwanda recruiting Zimbabwean teachers is to be implemented in two stages, starting with those who teach English, science, technology, engineering and mathematics or STEM courses. Rwanda Education Board Director General Nelson Mbarushimana revealed the agreement at the Zimbabwe-Rwanda Trade and Investment Conference in Harare, which wrapped up on April 1st. Zimbabwean teachers are part of the civil service and have been embroiled in a long-wage dispute with the government over salaries and working conditions. Some teachers are concerned that the deal with Rwanda will undermine schools in Zimbabwe. Obed Masaraore is a STEM teacher himself and the Secretary General of the Agricultural Rural Teachers Union of Zimbabwe. 
Just last week, the spokesperson of the Minister of Primary and Secondary Education reported that Zimbabwe has an acute shortage of STEM teachers. We have schools in Manikaland province which have gone for over two years without getting a STEM teacher because of a critical shortage. So it is a ridiculous contradiction where you find a nation which is battling to have teachers in its own schools, exporting teachers to other nations. What are we saying about our own education? This is an indictment on the government of Emerson Mnangagwa. The Minister of Primary and Secondary Education last week announced that the country is faced with an acute shortage of STEM teachers. They don't care about the education of their own people. They are prepared to export teachers to other countries. We should have expected them to really become a competitive employer, try to retain quality teachers in our schools, and try even to attract better teachers in our schools. But most importantly, what are the contents of the agreement signed between the Zimbabwean government and the Rwandese government? Are we guaranteeing that these teachers, when exported, they are still going to enjoy their labor rights according to international labor organization standards? Because we don't want our government to become a safe trader selling our teachers to be slaves in another republic. We want them to continue to enjoy their fundamental rights when they go into another jurisdiction. And we know this government might not even pay attention to detail. Some teachers will say the government has long ignored their demands for better salaries and working conditions welcome the development. Reporting for VOA, this is Adigondo in Bawayo, Zimbabwe. And now it's time for Daybreak Africa Sports. Let's go to Abuja, Nigeria with Samson O'Malley. Good morning to you, Samson. Good Monday morning to you too, Jackson. We begin the sport with the outstanding performance of Africans in some marathon held across Europe on Sunday. Kenya's Titus Kipyogo and Vivian Kiplagat won the Milan City Marathon. The 23-year-old Kipyogo ran a new personal best with his 2-hour, 5 minutes and 5-second performance for the win. Fellow Kenyan Daniel Kibet took second while Tanzanian Alfonso Felis Simbu finished third. In Paris, Ethiopian Desu Gelmisa sprinted down the final stretch of the Paris Marathon, finishing in a time of 2 hours, 5 minutes, 7 seconds, just 14 seconds off his personal best. Elsewhere in Barcelona, Ethiopia, Teklu Haftu broke the course record at the 31st edition of the Barcelona Half Marathon held on Sunday. The 26-year-old came to his race with a personal best of 59 minutes 39 seconds, setting a new course record of 59 minutes 04 seconds. In football news, former Ivorian professional footballer Didier Drogba has called for an expanded World Cup to help African teams, saying the current five slots are not enough. Didier Drogba, who was speaking following the draws held in Doha, Qatar, also tips Senegal as one of the sides to watch in Qatar after winning the African Cup of Nations in February. How can you have a lot of chances of winning the World Cup when you only have five out of 32? Or... So when you look at the math, it's almost impossible. So we need to have more teams, uh, more African teams in, in, uh, in the competition which will give us a bit more chances to, to, to go through the, the quarter-final or semi-final or the final. Look at Europe, they have, I think they've got 12 representatives and, and, and the other continents as well. So I would love things to move forward and, and more teams, more African teams to be represented and, and, and 
I think it would be uh, um, a big difference. In the meantime, CAF President Dr. Purchase Musepe will visit the African Cup of Nations 2023 host Cote d'Ivoire on Monday, April the 4th. He will meet Cote d'Ivoire President Alassane Ouattara, Prime Minister Patrick Achi and Ivorian football leadership. Dr. Musepe will also visit some of the infrastructure that will be used for the African Cup of Nations in 2023. And now to the CAF Champions League. Osprons to Tunis, Wada Casablanca and Memelodi Sundowns and then their 2021-2022 CAF Champions League group stage campaigns in style on Saturday. Having already booked their sport in the quarterfinals, Osprons secured a 2-1 win over Algeria's C.R. Blozidat in a Group C encounter at the Stade Hamadi Agribi in Tunisia. In Morocco, Wada Casablanca claimed a 5-1 win at the start Mohamed V in Morocco over Angola's Petro de Luanda. Memelo Sundance of South Africa continued their dominance in Group A when they thrashed a hapless Elmerick side 3-0 at the FNB Stadium in South Africa. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, Jackson, in Washington. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. For more African news and features, visit our website at voanews.com. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington wishing you 